Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is The Skip Bayless Show, episode 93. In honor of a player you might or might not remember, Leroy Selman played for my University of Oklahoma Sooners, then for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That number 93 is now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But he delighted me. He made many Saturdays much warmer in November and December when he and his two brothers played for my Oklahoma Sooners. I had Lucius, I had Dewey, I had Leroy in my defensive line, and trust me, it was not fair in the 1970s for my Oklahoma Sooners. All three of them out of Eufaula, Oklahoma, home of a friend of mine and Vanderbilt acquaintance of mine named Logan Sharp. I picked him up once on the way from Oklahoma City driving to Nashville to Vanderbilt. But I digress because this is the unundisputed, everything I cannot share with you during the two and a half hour debate show that is undisputed. Today, I will tell you why Sunday evening was my lowest moment ever, ever, ever as a Dallas Cowboy fan. I will tell you why I threw Micah Parsons' jersey in my kitchen trash can after that game. I will tell you why Die Hard just might be my favorite Christmas movie. I will tell you why I have less than zero sympathy for Draymond Green. And I will tell you why what the Lakers did Monday night made it a whole lot easier for me to take what my Cowboys did or didn't do on Sunday night. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I start with a question from Brent from Virginia. Is this the most down you have ever been on the Cowboys? Brent, unfortunately, Yes, it is. Ever. Ever, ever. So when it comes to fandom, for me, deflation equals expectation coupled with duration of suffering. I was there in January of 1996 when my Cowboys played in their last NFC Championship game and won it, played in their last Super Bowl, 
in Tempe, Arizona, and won it. Lo, those many years ago, many, many, many years ago, lots of suffering, lots of America's team turning into America's tease. But I really thought this year was different. I really thought this team had found itself rising up from the ashes of San Francisco 42, Dallas 10, way back when this season at San Francisco. Was Dak Prescott ever on a roll since that San Francisco debacle? 23 touchdown passes. He had thrown to only two interceptions. We beat Seattle. We annihilated Philadelphia. We were number one in offense, number three in defense, number one in pressuring the quarterback. Very nearly number one in turnover differential, that all-important telltale stat. San Francisco, as we went to Buffalo, was plus 11 in turnover ratio. We were plus 10, right on their heels. Josh Allen, number one in turning the ball over. So I'm thinking, we got this. I I was very confident as my team headed to Buffalo, shuffled off to Buffalo, as it were. I was serenely, supremely confident. I, I seriously, from my heart, I had no trepidation whatsoever. I did not see that coming. I was not ready for that. Jerry Jones said on his radio show this week in Dallas, well, we just didn't finish. And if you don't finish, you're going to lay an egg. And I'm like, didn't finish. We didn't start. We won the toss. We deferred. Buffalo went 75 yards in 12 plays. Aided and abetted in the end by a needlessly silly penalty committed by a veteran leader. DeMarcus Law, I'm sorry, DeMarcus Lawrence, as I say, D-Law laying down the law. I, I don't know what would possess him to rough Josh Allen after he had let go of a pass that was bound for incompletion. Buffalo would have had to kick a field goal. We would have seized back some of the momentum at three to nothing, but we gave them four more points, seven to nothing. Then on the next series, Dak Prescott, 23 touchdowns to only two picks. He missed Brandon Cooks, who had broken open deep. I said on Undisputed, well, at least he overthrew him. And Michael Irvin, the Hall of Fame Cowboy receiver, corrected me and said, maybe it would have been better if he had underthrown him. Because at least on an underthrow, you might get a pass interference. He missed him nonetheless. That could have made it seven to seven, but no. Then Zach Martin, my other veteran leader, commits another silly penalty 
after the refs had already flagged one of the Bills for a late hit on Dak Prescott. Zach went to defend our quarterback. That's noble of you, Zach. But the refs had already defended him for you with 15 yards, and you canceled it. You got 15. Sam Williams, an explosive athletic pass rusher, great punt rusher, had the Buffalo punter dead to rights, was about to block a punt, left his feet for unknown reasons. The punt somehow left the punter's foot beneath him, and he roughed the punter. If you get your hand on the ball, you can rough him all you want. Blunder upon blunder upon self-destructive, shoot-yourself-in-the-foot blunder. And all of a sudden, it's 21-3 to at half. On the way to 31-3, to which wound up 31-10 to Buffalo. The, the problem is we, we weren't even competitive from the start. The problem is if at least Josh Allen had gone Superman late in the game on us, close game, hard-fought, struggle, made some monumental, never-to-be-forgotten play, beating us by three. I, I don't know. At least I could live with that. At least I could maintain a little hope out of that, but not out of this. No, we got exposed. We are Super Bowl pretenders, not contenders. You can't do that this late in the season. That is just the worst sign. I get to sit next to Michael Irvin every Monday on Undisputed, also every Friday for that matter. And it occurred to me as that game wound down on Sunday evening, we don't have a Michael Irvin on that team. Michael Irvin was a refuse-to-lose leader. I know he had his issues off the field, but listen, when it was time, he took over took over on the sideline and in the huddle and in the locker room and on the football field. When it was time, eight, as in Troy Aikman threw it to 88. But the leader in the locker room was Michael Irvin, along with Charles Haley, along with Jimmy Johnson. We don't have any of those players or that coach. We don't have that guy who takes over and says, no, not today. We clearly were not ready to play. Our coach couldn't motivate his way out of a wet paper bag, and it did rain in the second half, and he turned into a wet paper bag on the sideline. We are the most watched team in the history of sports, we dominate the TV ratings year after year after year. Yet in the end, when it comes to motivation, we are strictly a product of the media. We win a few, we get hot, 
my players read how great they are, and they think, oh, well, we can just show up in Buffalo and roll our helmets out onto the field with the stars on the side, and Buffalo will genuflect and drop to its knees and say, no mas. Buffalo will worship the Dallas Cowboys and roll over and play dead for the Dallas Cowboys. No, no, no. So the reverse of that is every once in a while, we stink it up and my players have to listen for an entire week to the shame and the ridicule heaped upon their heads until they finally get so sick and tired of it, they say, watch this. And you better watch out because they're motivated, not by their coach, by the media, by internet shame and ridicule. And they're still talented enough that if they decide, they can be just about as good as anybody this side of San Francisco. Yet this week, Jerry let them off the hook. Jerry actually congratulated and complimented the coaching staff this week for putting this team in position to lose that game, meaning we were so good that that game actually mattered this late in the season, and he thanked the coaches for that. My team has no accountability. It plays with no fear of any retribution from its head coach, its leaders. Jerry's the nicest owner ever. He treats a lot of the players like they're his sons. He loves to rub elbows with said players. It's the Dallas Cowboy Country Club. It still operates in full force right before your very eyes. Buffalo 31, Dallas 10. Dallas bullied, bum-rushed, blown off the field by 266 yards of Buffalo rushing. But Jerry's happy. In fact, I think Jerry actually was weirdly happy that we lost that badly because it feeds into the soap opera that is the Dallas Cowboys TV show. Here we go again. Going to Miami. Same point spread. We're a one and a half point underdog. Not bad. 425 Eastern on Fox. Sis Boomba. And yet, the world is on the edge of its seat to see if Dallas is going to get blown out again, or will they somehow get inspired by all the media ridicule and condemnation and rise up and smite those dolphins? Jerry loves this. Jerry's more interested, at least slightly more interested, in the entertainment package, the ratings juggernaut that is the Dallas Cowboys as opposed to 
actually competing for and winning a Super Bowl. I think in the end, that's pretty irrelevant to Jerry because he realizes deep down they don't have what it takes to go win a Super Bowl. They have enough, thanks to the drafting done by Jerry, Will McClay. They have enough to at least make the playoffs. And they backed into the playoffs Sunday despite 31-10. to 10. They have enough that on Monday night, thanks to the Eagles losing at Seattle, they backed back into the division lead. Jerry's happy. Jerry's content. Way to go, coaching staff. Thank you very much. Drive home safely. I believe this team will lose at Miami. I'm just speaking my heart, my soul. Cowboy fans since I was 10 years of age. I just believe they're going to lose at Miami. I think they will get run off the field in a different way. That was force up in Buffalo. This will be more finesse and speed, quickness, scheme. I actually believe, after what I saw Sunday at Buffalo, I I believe my Cowboys will not only lose at Dolphins. They've been awful on the road all year, except for the opener, 40 to nothing at Giants. Can't explain that. But I believe they'll actually come home and finally lose after, what is it, 15 straight victories at home. They play the Lions. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Lions have turned into statistically a top five rushing team, but they might be a top one rushing team with Jameer Gibbs right now. He is running wild. He's a little better than James Cook, who ran the wildest on us, wilding on Sunday night in Buffalo. I think we'll lose to Miami. I think we'll lose to Detroit. And then what the heck, what's left? We play at Washington to close. Well, nobody's going to play. We're in the playoffs. We'll have a road playoff game. And now I'm left to root for, of all people, Baker Mayfield. Go, Baker, go. I need Baker to somehow beat Jacksonville. I need Baker to beat New Orleans at Tampa the following week. I need the Saints to lose to the Rams. I need the Saints then to lose to the Bucs. I need the Bucs to win or steal what's left of the NFC South. I need Shake and Baker to shake and bake because my only hope now is that my team would somehow get to play at Bucks. I'm not sure how it's mathematically going to fall, but could could we maybe get another game at Tampa like we got last year when we sent Tom Brady into the sunset? Dak's game of the year. And then, of course, we went to San Francisco and Dak stunk right on cue. My defense played great at San Francisco, but not my quarterback. I don't trust my quarterback. He won the MVP at Buffalo. He cinched it. Most valuable pretender. I I need the Bucs. We can't go win at the Saints. It's too hard to win there. Not sure where else we might get sent on wild card weekend, but give me the Bucs. I got a shot. They're aging and 
battered on defense. Got a shot. Maybe Micah can get after Baker a little bit. My pass rush, number one in pressures. Maybe it can get after Baker a little bit. Brent, I haven't been so devastated. Over the way we lost since the 1980, I'm going way back, 1980 NFC Championship game. I was there in Philadelphia. It was like 20 below zero wind chill. Similar circumstance. It wasn't James Cook. It was Wilbert Montgomery who went for 194 yards rushing that day. The Eagles coached by rah-rah coach Dick Vermeil, totaled 263 yards rushing, which I thought was mind-boggling at the time against my Cowboys flex defense. 263, 266 at Buffalo, but it was devastating just to watch them get run off the field. The final score was 20-7. to Nobody could throw. Neither Danny White nor Ron Jaworski could throw much. So they just ran it and ran it and ran it down our throats. But it was so cold, and Philly had peaked, and Tony Hill, our second-best receiver, had a hamstring. I, I don't know. It didn't rock me like this rocked me. I really thought we had a chance to be that team this year. But you can't do that this late. You can't recover from that. That was a bad sign. And maybe I should have known it was a bad sign. You know how I feel about jinxes. My wardrobe artist here at Fox is named Autumn, and she is the best. She is so good to me, so great for me. She lays out my clothes. So. She had laid out, I would see on Friday, what she's left for me on my rack for Monday. I'm always one day ahead. Sometimes you get the whole week and you can sort of glance down at what's coming Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But I had looked on Friday ahead of the Philadelphia home game thinking, okay, she has this for Monday. What if? What if Dallas wins? I don't really want to wear that on Monday if Dallas wins, but I, as confident as I was about Philadelphia at Dallas, I didn't know, nor did I want to jinx it. So I didn't ask for something different yet. I didn't want to be premature and jinx it. Not until Monday morning, very early out here in L.A., did I ask Autumn to please swap out what she had left for me on Friday for Monday with something cowboy blue and white. And she was like, oh, I get it. You're celebrating. Yep, I'm celebrating today. So I went with some cowboy blue and a little white. And then she tried to be one step ahead because last Friday, ahead of the Buffalo game, she went ahead and put in a cowboy blue suit for Monday, and it was already hanging on my rack. I took one look at it, and I thought, oh, God, potential jinx factor. But then I said, no, no, come on, come on. They're that good. They'll rise above any potential jinx. This is their year. 
this is legit. They have found themselves. Number one in offense, number three in defense, number one in quarterback pressures. We got this. I'm certainly not blaming Autumn for this. She was just trying to be one step ahead. Maybe that was it. Maybe the football god said, nope, not going to let you have that one. But this wasn't a game that was jinxed. That would be one where Josh Allen beat you with some wild, bizarre, maybe pass interference play at the end of the game. That, that would be a jinx game. This was an exposed game. This was a no-hope game. Now I'm just hoping for one playoff win over Baker at Tampa. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Colby from Texas who asks, what did Micah do to get his jersey thrown in the trash? I got a better question, Colby. What didn't he do? I can tell you what he didn't do. He did not show up on Sunday at Buffalo. I don't know. Maybe he was worn out from podcasting. I don't know. Micah Parsons is by far the best player on my defense. Micah Parsons is easily the best player on my team. Going into Buffalo, Micah Parsons was a slight favorite for defensive player of the year. Slight betting favorite. Going into Buffalo, I'm thinking, man, the 49ers still have to deal with Baltimore on Christmas night, albeit. At San Francisco. So there's still a chance. We still have a chance to win that NFC one seed, get two home playoff games where we won 15 straight games, two home playoff games to the Super Bowl. Here we go. Hmm. Michael Parsons on Sunday evening at Buffalo wound up with a grand total of two assisted tackles, two assists. Hmm. Keyshawn Johnson on Undisputed has a nickname, a pile inspector or a pile jumper, somebody who jumps on a pile as it's sort of going down to try to pick up an assisted tackle, a fake downfield tackle as you're getting dragged along with a falling pile. That was Micah on Sunday at Buffalo. He had a couple of those. (sighs) Getting dragged, assisted tackles. Man. I needed a tone setter. I needed a game wrecker. And I had to file a missing Parsons report. A missing Parsons report. Where was he? My oh Micah, as I call him, turned into where oh where 
could Micah be? They kept running right at him. He kept backing up. If he saw a ball carrier coming his way, that was his signal to retreat, take the rest of the play off. Nope, I don't do that. I rush the passer. I don't tackle ball carriers. Keyshawn on Undisputed made the point. In the past, we've compared Micah to Lawrence Taylor, at least put him in the same distant sort of conversation with Lawrence Taylor saying he's got a chance. As Keyshawn said, if you tried to run at Lawrence Taylor, he would tear up ball carriers. He would send you a message back. Nobody's coming this way. I'll tear up your ball carrier and then I'll tear down your quarterback. He was a bad, you know what, Lawrence Taylor. I don't see that in Micah. Maybe he's not big enough. Maybe he's not strong enough. Maybe he's not physical enough. Maybe he's just not badass enough. Or maybe he's just been way overhyped, overrated, starting with me, by me. Micah faded down the stretch last year. I think he had a sack and a half in the last five games. And he has started his fade this year. I know he ended the Seattle game all over Geno. He was unblocked. I don't know how they figured that one out, but they didn't block Micah on the final play of the game. Again, Buffalo had 266 yards rushing on a Micah Parsons defense. That's pathetic. That's shameful. That's embarrassing. That's humiliating. 11 from heaven is now stuck in purgatory. And his jersey has been thrown in my trash. Where it belonged on Sunday night. That's why, Colby. All right, it is time for the ultimate undisputed debate question. No, not that one. Not the Jordan-LeBron goat debate. Which, by the way, is the most one-sided debate in the history of debates. There is no debate. You know that. Nope. I'm talking about the ultimate, ultimate undisputed debate. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? There's only one right answer. Yes, yes, joy to the world. Yes, 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 it is. I believe in Santa, and I believe in John McClane as the Santa who saved the Christmas party. So before I proceed, Allow me to say that my wife, Ernestine, and I, and our daughter, Hazel, our Maltese, every Christmas, we watch five movies without fail. We watch the original Home Alone, the one set in the Chicago suburb. We watch the second Home Alone, set in New York City. Although last Christmas, as I've admitted before, we found ourselves fast-forwarding in both of them. 
to Kevin versus Joe Pesci, Kevin versus Daniel Stern. I mean, Joe Pesci frying his hand on that doorknob, on the front doorknob in the first one, and then Joe Pesci with his hair on fire in the second one. That's funny. And then we always watch yet another John Hughes classic. John Hughes was a big-hearted genius. We watch Christmas Vacation. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yes, Christmas Vacation. I'm sorry, got it backwards. Christmas Vacation. Not the original vacation. Christmas Vacation. The, the squirrel in the Christmas tree is, it's classic. You got to admit. And finally, this is a favorite of mine, not of Ernestine's, but I just love the Charles Dickens Scrooge story, A Christmas Carol. There are many versions of it. I think I've related to Scrooge in my life because it seems like I'm always working Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I'm always working all the holidays. But my favorite Christmas Carol is the 1938 version. Maybe you know it. It stars Reginald Owen as Scrooge. It's the best one. But it's not as good as Die Hard. Nothing is as good as Die Hard to me on Christmas. Maybe in part because out of our living room window, we can see Nakatomi Plaza. It's actually a Fox office tower, but it's, it's it. It's Nakatomi Plaza. We can see it as we watch Die Hard. I did like the third Die Hard, the one with a vengeance, Jeremy Irons, Samuel L., It's pretty great, but nothing compares to the original Die Hard, which, by the way, takes place, starts, and finishes on Christmas Eve. Bruce Willis is John McClane, his greatest role. God bless him. He's a New York cop. Flies all the way from New York to L.A., where he's never been before to maybe reconcile with his wife, Holly Gennaro, see their two kids who moved to L.A., go straight to Holly's Christmas uh, party at at Nakatomi Plaza, her office Christmas party, which is soon crashed by the greatest villain in movie history, Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, and his crew of badass perpetrators, thieves posing as terrorists, crashed. Thank God for John McClane. Such great characters in this movie. There's Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Bell Johnson. There's the limo driver, Argyle. What a great character. Sergeant Powell, Al, aids and supports via radio John McClane as he eliminates one by one the badass perpetrators. 
who've taken over Nakatomi Plaza on Christmas Eve. My favorite moment is after John knocks off one of the perpetrators who happens to be the brother of the baddest perpetrator named Carl, played by Alexander Godunov. John McClane takes the dead guy, puts a Santa hat on him and a sweatshirt upon which he writes, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. That's the way Hans Gruber reads it. Sends it down the elevator shaft to where the floor where Hans and his crew are holding maybe 100 people hostage. So many great lines. Shoot the glass. Shoot the glass. And of course, if you'll pardon my language just for a moment, Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. We get that in all the diehards. John McClane couldn't save Takagi from Hans Gruber in the beginning, but he does save maybe a hundred or so people at the party. He does play Santa Claus. It is a great exhilarating Christmas Eve finish which ironically ends with the song that begins oh the weather outside is frightful I can't sing or I'd sing it to you and the chorus let it snow let it snow let it snow of course it's Christmas Eve in LA there is no snow there sure was a lot of fire and John McClane Sure stopped a whole lot of bad guys from stealing Christmas. Yes, Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. Which somehow brings me to Draymond Green. I got to get this off my chest. I'm sorry, but I'm sick and tired of hearing what a quote-unquote good guy and great teammate Draymond is. I am horrified that he somehow seemingly is turning into a sympathetic figure. A beloved sympathetic figure. No, it cannot be. I I realize he's very entertaining on his podcast. I think he's been great as he segues into his TNT career on television. But let me tell you, good guys don't become the biggest cheap shot artist in NBA history. The only reason Draymond kept getting a pass year after year, incident after incident, was because he had become such a beloved Golden State Warrior. And I still don't get it. Have you seen the compilations of all of his cheap shots on the internet, maybe on Twitter? I've seen several of them. Very comprehensive. They they take a while to watch because it goes on and on and on. Years and years of cheap shots and low blows. 
compilations, tour de forces of cheap shots. Good guys don't repeatedly kick rival players in the testicles again and again and again. Good guys don't stomp on other players when they're down on the floor. Good guys don't put a Rudy Gobert in a headlock and yank him and yank him and yank him away like he's some wrestling villain. Good guys don't throw spinning punches at players guarding them in the corner. Good guys don't sucker punch a teammate. Good guys don't scream the B word at LeBron James in the heat of battle in game four of the NBA Finals in 2016. Screamed the B word at LeBron. I'll just say it. He called him a bitch. You bitch. I mean, for me, that's the one word you can't take back when it's manhood versus manhood. I don't know. That's a line you can't cross, but somehow he crossed it with LeBron and then. Before I knew it, they were business partners and best friends again. He also used that word on Kevin Durant as they sat on the bench at Clippers here in L.A. as Warriors teammates. They got mad at each other because Draymond wanted to dribble the ball up the floor, and Kevin thought, no, I think I should be doing it in that circumstance called him a bitch on the bench, and it led to Kevin's departure from the Warriors. I don't think good guys do that. That's just me. Good guys don't constantly cheap shot players that this quote-unquote good guy knows won't fight back. Have you ever noticed that about Draymond? He's always picking on somebody, cheap shotting somebody that he knows with his high basketball IQ Eh, he's not going to come back at me. Draymond is not an enforcer. He's not a real tough guy. I'm not saying he's a fake tough guy. He's just not a real one. He's not a Charles Oakley from back in the day. Heck, he's definitely not a Michael Jeffrey Jordan. You want to talk about badass. You just didn't mess with Michael unless you wanted to fight. Draymond does not want to fight. He just wants to hit and run. I have no earthly idea whether Draymond needs help. I don't know anything about any of that. I just know I don't have any sympathy for him whatsoever. Less than zero. This league, the NBA, has let him get away with this consistently outrageous cheap shot behavior for year after year after year. And it finally said, okay, no, that's enough. You're suspended indefinitely. But you know he'll be back sooner than later. You just know. He'll be back badder than ever, cheap shotting, right on schedule. That's entertainment. That sells. That sells podcasts and TV careers. That's just Draymond. That's just what he does. I'm sorry. That ain't right.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Aaron from El Paso who asks, I'll take a quick left turn here. Do you listen to music at all when you work out? Aaron, I used to. The pandemic changed everything, including that for me. I I used to lift weights at Equinox here in LA, though I must admit, I ended up wasting a whole lot of time when I would go lift in public, so to speak, because so many people wanted to talk sports with me. So many wanted a quick picture with me. Then the pandemic hit. All the fitness centers closed, obviously, and I had no choice but to buy all the equipment I needed for home workouts. And I realized during the pandemic that Hey, not only could I save time by not getting interrupted at Equinox, but I could kill two birds with one stone at home because I could time my lifting with televised sports events, whatever, games, golf tournaments, whatever, something I needed or wanted to watch. I could dedicate an hour and a half of lifting during that, and then I could take breaks between sets to tweet if necessary. So, every once in a while, there is no game. My workout routine has to fall at a certain time, and I'm back to music to inspire me. So, so what's my go-to? Lil Wayne's greatest hits, Nelly's greatest hits. But remember, I'm still a child of, product of, 60s, 70s, 80s rock and roll. It's just, it's in my blood. I grew up with it. I can't help myself. Beatles doesn't really work. I'm a big Beatles fan, but it doesn't really work for workouts. Rolling Stones, work. Paul Revere and the Raiders, work. The Rascals, work. I know many of you won't have any idea what I'm talking about, but they work. Look them up. Check them out. Sly and the Family Stone, work. Smokey Robinson often works for me. In Excess works for me. Prince definitely works for me. I was blessed enough to see him twice in concert. But I've said this before. I've mentioned it. I'm going to hit it hard on the head one last time. If I really need some rocket fuel, if I need the audio equivalent of my Diet Mountain Dew caffeine burst in the morning. 
you'll laugh, but I go, go, goes. Check them out. Look them up. The go, goes. Nobody, nobody ever rocked harder than the Go-Go's. And I saw them twice in concert, once out here at the Hollywood Bowl. Our lips are sealed, head over heels, vacation, how much more, turn to you, skid marks on my heart. Nothing gets me going like the Go-Go's get me going. The Go-Go's, when I need audio inspiration, are my steroids when I lift weights. This is Harry from Los Angeles. Cowboys losing and LeBron raising another banner has to be an all-time bad 48 hours for you. Right? Says Harry. Harry, you should be ashamed of yourself. Laker Nation should be ashamed of itself. LeBron James should be ashamed of himself. Wait, you raised a banner for that? I I thought the Los Angeles freaking Lakers were all about June, not December. About real championships, not cups, not in-season tournaments. Harry, as bad as my Cowboys were at Buffalo on Sunday, and they were stink bomb bad. They were no-show bad. You should be even more embarrassed about what happened Monday night. You forced your fans at crypto to applaud that? As that banner was raised, I was just watching via television. I sensed a little uncomfortable sort of polite applause through gritted teeth by hardcore Laker fans. Weren't sure how to respond. Magic Johnson would have said, no way. The late, great Kobe Bryant would have said, over my dead body. Back in Kobe's day, when Kobe ruled L.A., Man, if Magic and Kobe had been forced to play a first in-season tournament, they would have said, okay, let's go win the thing. But both would have said no banner raising. I said on last week's podcast, Michael Jordan would have said over my dead body. Magic and Kobe would have said, Onward and upward toward June. June is all that matters. So, no, Harry. The truth is that watching the Los Angeles Lakers raise that banner on Monday night made Buffalo 31, Dallas 10 feel a whole lot better. Thank you for this question. I will leave you with this. My best friend in the whole wide world is a man that I met when we were in seventh grade at Taft Junior High School in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. His name is Craig Humphreys. And against all odds, Craig Humphreys became known as the Hump Man on Oklahoma City Sports Talk Radio. 
became a 30-year legend in sports talk radio in my hometown of Oklahoma City. And he has now chosen to retire. I'm not remotely ready to retire. I don't think about retirement. But Craig told me when I visited last summer, as I do every summer without fail, he said, I think it's time. I need to be with Bev, his wife, who's fought with cancer. I need a little more time with her and with myself. And I said, I'm with you. But now as he does retire, I just want to say publicly, I'm so proud of you. You worked for your dad's company with your brothers. You made some money. You're almost 40 years of age when you said, you know what? I want to become a sports talk host. And you went to school to learn how to do it. And then you started from the very bottom. And then you wound up buying a signal, which was high risk, maybe low reward. And you picked exactly the right talent to put around you on air. And you did it. It took off. You became a radio legend right before my very eyes. So proud of you. I love you with all my heart and soul. We've been through so much. I was the best man in your first wedding. Didn't work. You were the best man in my first wedding. Didn't work. Been through so much together. So much good, some bad. And we've fought like brothers. In my life, I've never competed against anybody who's a tougher competitor than you are, Craig Humphreys. Basketball, golf, whatever it was, whatever it is, never seen a tougher competitor, never faced a tougher competitor than you. And allow me to say that I've been around long enough to learn how rare it is that two guys could meet in seventh grade and become best friends in eighth grade and stay best friends all the way through all of that to now. All of my moves, I went away to Vanderbilt. I went to the Miami Herald. I went to the LA Times. I went to the Dallas Morning News and the Dallas Times Herald. I went to the Chicago Tribune. I went to the San Jose Mercury News out in the Bay Area. I went to ESPN in New York City and then ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. And then in 2016, I came all the way back to LA to work at Fox Sports 1 here in LA where I still sit. 
through all those moves, all those times, good and bad, we stayed best friends. It's hard to do. It's very rare. I've been very blessed to know you and Bev and your son, Sam, another cancer survivor who now is following in your sports talk footsteps at your station in Oklahoma City. God bless Sam. God bless Bev. God bless you, man. I love you with all my heart and soul. That's it for episode 93. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed is every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, the Skip Bayless Show, every week.